to the fellow redeemed. We consider briefly our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. And it introduces for us an idea, a concept that at the surface and at the first glance we might think, well, of course, or of course not. The question that Jesus is dealing with, why did this bad thing happen to those people? And the unstated implication, it didn't happen to me, so there must be something different here. That tower fell on those people over in Siloam. That tower fell on those people over in New York. That er hurricane or that earthquake hit a different part of the world. Is it as simple as I chose a good place to live? Or is it more that God permits, sends, or allows suffering there? Because those are the ones who have turned their back on him. Those are the ones who have historically allowed and even condoned all sorts of open and flagrant sin. Those are the ones that God is punishing now. The question, it happened over there, and it didn't happen here. Why? And at first glance, you and I might think to ourselves, well, you know, Pastor Hagen, it's, it's really simple. Um, we live in a, a life, in a, in a world of sin, where creation itself is groaning under the weight of sin and the burden of sin. And sometimes bad things happen. True. And <laughs> you could almost say amen right after that. Except for the fact that we always, at least in the back door of our hearts, there's the tendency and the inclination to try to connect the dots. To try to say that there has to be some form of order in this world, there has to be some form of justice in this world, and surely it can't just be a roll of the dice and random chance. That I happen to be born to a family living in the United States and it happens to be in a place that doesn't get hit by hurricanes and isn't sitting on top of a, a, an earthquake fault. And even if it is, it hasn't been a huge earthquake since 1903. Or archaeologists and geologists would say it hasn't been a huge earthquake for over 10,000 years. And even though the Yellowstone um, geothermic activity isn't supposed to blow for another 10,000 years, well, the reason it's not happening now is because I'm over here, and I'm out of the blast range if, if uh, Old Faithful happens to explode. And if it's not God's doing, then it must be my doing. And not necessarily even that we think that way about the huge events and the headlines that we read. Because the reality, the reality, whatever headline you happen to watch or see, whatever news you happen to catch from the other side of the world or from the neighbor the next door down, whatever tragedy and sorrow you happen to hear about, it just could have easily 
been the same for you or for me. Which comes around to the question, why do these things happen? Why do they happen as they do, and when they do, and to whom they happen? And certainly, certainly, there must be some sort of explanation, some sort of reason for why it happened there but not here, why it happened to them and not me, or turn it around. Maybe you are the one bearing a, an intense personal cross. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, maybe it's just um, something that happened a little bit further back in your family tree. And it's easy to explain away an earthquake, a tsunami, and a nuclear disaster all bundled together. It's a lot more difficult to explain away the apparently nameless, mindless tragedy that, that you have to deal with each and every day. The apparent heartache that is yours to only set down for a few brief moments when you can fall asleep, but it's there again when your feet hit the floor. Because the question is one that comes pretty naturally, and the question is one that the people brought to Jesus. They were talking to Jesus of all the bad things that would happen. You know, I understand tornadoes, and I understand hurricanes, and I understand earthquakes, and that's just, you know, we can explain it uh, scientifically and geologically, and we can understand it theologically that, that God permits or allows these things to happen. But Jesus, time out here. Pontius Pilate sent in his SWAT team as they were having a worship service. And what did those Galileans do to deserve that? What did those Galileans do to deserve, you know, the dictator sending in his SS into the middle of the worship service? What did those Galileans do? And the answer is, is more than just, well, Life is a world of sin and death and pain, and suffering strikes us all, one just as much as the next. Or the answer, when it's us on the receiving end of the pain, when it's us who are carrying the heartache, and sitting there almost like next to Job. And Job, if you read, if you read the book of Job, like for the first 38 chapters, Job says, why me? I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. And his friends, <laughs> his friends, I'll use that term very loosely, air quotes for those who are listening, his friends come and they argue with him. And all they say is, Job, you must have done something. And Job says, I didn't do anything. And they say, just, Job, come clean to God. And then you'll understand Surely God doesn't let bad things happen like the destruction of all your earthly wealth and the death of all of your children. Surely he doesn't let those things happen for no reason. Surely there is some rhyme and some reason to the God that we worship. What did you do? And Job gets angry with them and ends up getting angry at God. <laughs> I wish, he says, I wish that God were here and, and if he were here, I would have some questions for him. Maybe you remember how that turned out. 
Because if you read through the book of Job, watch for every little, every little leaf that is blown across the scene, every little change in the sky as the storm of God's wrath comes to stand before Job. And for three chapters, God has a few questions for Job. But it doesn't answer the question. Job never found out why. And we live in a world where we don't see, at least on this side of heaven, we don't see any specific reason why. Why is it? Why is it that we have to deal with loss and pain? And why is it that among all the incredible communication tools that we've got in this world, why is it that for the most part they're used to bring the world's pain into my living room and into my, into my handheld device as I try to relax and sit back and all the world's sin and death and pain is just sitting right there in, I don't know, we used to say technicolor, but it's more than that. We used to say high definition, but it's even more than that. In super high definition, <laughs> why did God allow Pontius Pilate to send in his thugs? Or why did God allow that tower to fall on those people? Surely, surely it's not just the roll of the dice and chance. Because of the terrifying thought, if it is simply a roll of the dice, then we should just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we might die, or it might be today. Do you see the, the hopelessness of, of their question? The argumentation that they bring to Jesus? And they've settled at this answer that has only one weak spot in the entire answer. They have an explanation for the tower or the twin towers. They have an explanation for the, the earthquake and tsunami and the nuclear accident. They have an explanation for even the personal suffering. What did that man do? That he was born blind or was it his parents who sinned? But that one weak spot of their argument is on the basis of what they see hasn't happened. The one weak spot is the fact that it happened there, but it hasn't happened here. The one weak spot is that there must be something different there, or at least something different here, that it doesn't really apply to me. And Jesus doesn't tell them why he allowed, permitted, that um, local Roman governor to send in the army. He doesn't give an answer to Job. You aren't going to find an answer for your own personal heartache or pain written in the, the clouds, or you aren't going to find even your comfort in the middle of your pain by looking around at nature outside. Because Jesus doesn't give them an answer for why. But he gives them an answer. Verse 2 and following. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? And that's, 
the weak spot of their thought, of their thinking, of their argument. That if bad things happen to me or you, then it must have been something you did. The exact same accusation of the friends of Job, Job's comforters, that's an actual term now. Job's comforters, they come and they comfort him by accusing him of doing wrong, of being a worse sinner than they. Do you think that they were worse sinners because this happened to them? I tell you no. But unless you also repent, then you also will perish. Oh. And just so, that, just so that he makes sure that they get the point, he repeats himself. I tell you, no. Do you think there were worse sinners than all the people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all perish too. And just so that he makes sure they don't miss the point again, he repeats himself with a parable. Look at that parable, and, and I think one of the things, uh, like the two major elements that you have to understand about parables, the parables of Jesus, is that first of all, almost all of them, I'll, I'll qualify by saying almost, almost all of them are with a point of the law. They aren't for, for comfort, for gospel preaching. Almost all of them are for a specific point of the law with one particular point of comparison. And so we read that a man had this fig tree and it was growing and it should have been producing figs and it wasn't and it's been going on three years. And the gardener says, give me one more year. And what he's saying with that phrase in verse 8, sir, leave it alone this year until I dig around it. If it produces fruit next year, fine. What he's saying is exactly what he had already said twice. Unless you repent, you will all perish too. Fellow fig trees in the garden of God. How's it going? It's simple enough to get sucked into the 24-hour news cycle or the 36-hour news cycle, whatever it is. It's simple enough to have our hearts and minds and attention distracted by the sorrow over there and the pain over here and the worries at home and the proposed solutions from all the politicians. And it's simple enough to see the tragedy happening elsewhere and to have our own personal heartache loom so large in our vision that it's like we can't think of anything else. That's reality. But you cannot. You most certainly cannot. You most certainly and most definitely cannot understand what God thinks of you on the basis of what you see happen around you. That question, why do these bad things happen, is not a question for us to answer. But it is a reminder that, that we are mortal, and it is an occasion to prompt repentance. I tell you no, that, but unless you repent, you also will perish. 
Because the weak point in their argument was that it must have happened for a reason. And, and the reason, here's the real reason, the reason it hasn't happened to me is because I am different. The reason that person A has to carry that heartache for every day of the rest of their lives and I don't is because I made a better choice. Because I did something better. Because I was born in a better place. And it's almost as though you see the attitude of the Old Testament Israelites. Lord, we saw all the miracles that you did, and we are your chosen people, and thank you, because you're right. You chose the right people. And they lost out on the salvation and the promises that God had given to them. Because their attention was so absorbed in their circumstances, rather than in their God. Fellow fig trees in the garden of God. I will readily admit, just as much as any of you, that I'm, I at least was, up until about 10 years ago, I guess, I was a bit of a news hound. You know, one of those people who like to see, you know, the latest headline and then read like five different analyses of it. But what you'll see is that, yes, this world is a world of sin and death and pain. That politicians on both sides will lie for their own personal gain. And that any peace that is achieved through a treaty of any sort will soon be broken. And the suffering will begin again. But about 10 years ago, well, a little bit more than that now, I guess, there was a, a big change in my life where I had to stand up in a pulpit like this every Sunday and talk to people about Jesus. And not only talk to people about Jesus, but also show up at their home or at the hospital when bad things happened. When, when it looked like tragedy had struck again when it looked like the roll of the dice and the chance had come up with their number. And to be able to stand there with them in some of the darkest moments that they will never forget, and frankly, I won't either, but to be able to stand there with them and bring the comfort of lasting peace and the forgiveness of sins the comfort that, that their loved one is with Jesus because he or she was baptized. That their loved one is with Jesus that even though, even though it may have been a shock, how much more wonderful of a shock to open your eyes and to um, be embraced by your Savior in heaven. That even though the best that this world has to offer is some, some semblance of peace and prosperity, but even that is going to decay just as rust and moth always eat things up. And if not rust and moth, then embezzlement and greed fill in the blank. But there's one thing that doesn't. And that's the life that you have with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us to be so distracted by the events of this world or so distracted by trying to figure out the why of these events that we lose our focus on him. 
That's why he says it three times. And the third time with a parable, a pointed proclamation of God's law to make sure that we don't miss the point. Unless you repent, you too will perish. And that repentance, that repentance is simply recognizing that I don't bring anything here. I'm not standing here, sitting here, listening here, worshiping here on my own merit. But I'm here simply because of that man on the cross, that man who walked out of the empty tomb, because he is the one who washed me clean. He is the one who brought me to faith at that font or one like it. He is the one who continues to give me his forgiveness again. And man, that goes on forever. That the exact, the, the image we have of heaven isn't of everybody kicking back on the lazy boy and catching up on March Madness. The image we have of heaven is God's people standing around and singing the praises of the Lamb who is slain for the salvation of sinners. The image we have of heaven is of a God who has wiped away every tear from every eye. The image we have of heaven is, is exactly, <laughs> quite frankly, it's what the politicians promise but will never, ever, ever deliver. A place of no more sin or death or mourning or crying or pain. A place where no one is left out, whether you had eight months in this world or eight decades in this world. A place where you have a place around the throne of God. And there won't be any more question. There won't be the, the inward sinful flesh saying, it must be something about me that that didn't happen to me. That'll be gone. And there won't even be the worry of the question of why. Why did it happen? Because I can't explain it to you here, but it all makes sense there. Fellow fig trees in the Garden of God. <laughs> Might it be possible that it's difficult to retain that mindset when we're struck with the sin and the pain of life in this world. I would propose yes, of course, that hopefully for at least a few minutes every week or every day, life makes sense a little bit. But is there some way that fellow fig trees in the garden of God can help to support each other? Again, the answer is yes, because I guess it's a rhetorical question because I'm the one talking here. Um, but we've talked about it for about two weeks, and it's another week, but this is a little bit more detailed. And these are on the table in the, uh, in the fellowship hall if you want to read through it yourself. Talking about small groups here at Resurrection. And there's, there's a who, you know, and you can take one home. We've got like a dozen more copies of this. Write down like three to five households, people looking for a group of between six and ten people, either people that you are close with already or, or you know, maybe somebody your own age that you kind of know by face but not by relationship. Looking for a group of between six and ten, approximately. And then what do you do? Well... The two options would be a, a book study or a podcast study. And I've got the books, but I'll have more detail about them next week. Basically, a series where you work through this book as a group, 
usually about a topic that pastor doesn't take the time to talk about in very much depth on a Sunday morning. And you work through that together. And then maybe you take some time off for a month or two, and then you start another one. Or you subscribe to our podcast, uh, the small group podcast, RWJ Small Group. And there's a number of sermons on there. And then the third question is where? Maybe at your own home? Maybe at the church here? I don't have to be here, but we can get you a key, and we've got all sorts of rooms here. Or maybe some other location. And then when? Once every three or four weeks? Once a month? Daytime, evening, weekend, or weekend, evening? Whatever fits. The intent is to be flexible and to provide opportunity for fellow fig trees in God's garden to gather together. To talk about, with a little bit more depth, talk about some of the issues and the problems that, and the difficulties that each of us has to carry. And that this group, you know, especially if you get to know each other a little bit and pray together and pray for each other, that there's an opportunity to say, you know, we're going to also watch out for each other. Because the world will do its best to pull us away from our Jesus, whether it's through the government decree of Pontius Pilate, or whether it's the, the inward ideas of trying to make sense of life in a sinful world. And the only way that fellow fig trees produce fruit is by being fertilized and gardened by the gardener. And that question, and all the other questions start to hopefully fade into the background where we see that yes, our God has been very gracious to us. That yes, our Jesus has said that this is a world of sin and death and pain, but that he promises a new one. We're not there yet. <laughs> and things might get worse either personally or nationally, who knows. But until then, Let's find a way, find a time, find a place, find a person to encourage. Because we have a Jesus who promises life and resurrection and life forever with him. And that promise is greater than any pain you have ever or will ever feel. Guaranteed. Amen.